G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast as we uh, get right into the nub of Footy Fest 2. Uh, this is a round 15 review, uh, preview and part round 16 <laughs> preview. This is perhaps the most confusing work yet of this uh orgy of AFL football going on. As I say, very good morning to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Finey? No, they got me, Rowan. They've got me. I don't know where we are. Tuesday, Thursday, round 13, round 15, up, down. Last night, my daughter asked me where she goes to Richmond, where they are on the ladder. I said, they're fifth. She says, no, they're not. They're second. I said, yeah, but they've got a game in hand. She says, no, they don't. They've got two games in hand. It's it's um, become, well, what are they What are they telling us? It'll all sort itself out in the wash. But yeah, Actually, you're uh, right. I've just noticed that. So Richmond has two games in hand at the moment. Uh, sorry, Brisbane. Uh, Richmond has yeah. played two games more at the moment. Than, than Brisbane, yeah. Brisbane, Melbourne, GWS, Carlton and Sydney. So it's getting it's confusing, uh, isn't it? It's getting very EPL like, I have to say. Um, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I can't. I, I'm not dealing. I'm not dealing. And uh, last night's game was particularly hard to deal with. That was one of the uh, worst snooze fests of the season. But uh, do you feel like we're uh, well? Now we've got the grand final announcement out of the way, which will get to very shortly, but do you feel like we're sort of in the home stretch? Yeah, yeah, look, we are in the home stretch. And that grand final announcement does give us a a, a sort of a, an envelope in which to put the season. We know where it ends. We know when it ends. So I think that's good. I think that's a good thing. Just on last night's game, look, we live down here in Melbourne, and I guess the weather conditions, tropical or whatever they are, are different up on the Gold Coast. Was there something that I'm not familiar with? Was there invisible rain last night? Uh, I felt that a couple of times recently. Uh, I know the ball was greasy. I mean, some of the ball handling and some of the ball movement, it was though they were playing in torrential invisible rain. Certainly the scoring indicated that. Well, they better get used to it because uh, no doubt the pointy end of a season uh, is, uh, for the better part, going to be conducted in those uh, climatic conditions. Uh, I'll I'll tell you what will always be conducted in the uh, more consistent climate of Melbourne, though, Finey, and hopefully soon in a lockdown-free environment, and that is the great taste of our favourite hamburger. You know what? I'm starting to get... Pavlov's response. You know Pavlovian theory? I do. As soon as you say those 
four words, I tell you what, I start salivating. Because because it's generally a cue for me to start recalling a great Andrews hamburger. And I've also, not only have I lost a little perspective on days in lockdown four, I've actually lost perspective on mealtimes. So it would mean nothing for me to wake up and have a Andrew, an Andrew's hamburger as breakfast and go to sleep with a bowl of cereal. I, I, I really, everything's turned on its head. But that 144 Bridport Street, I'm serious. I've only been awake for 45 minutes. If somebody dropped an Andrew's hamburger in my lap right now, I would kick my neutral grain to the curb. I'd say, ta-da, Vitamix or Brits or whatever they're called, anytime, any day, any weather conditions, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, and Andrew's Hamburger. Well, sadly, I have had hamburgers for breakfast previously, so I can, I can relate to that. I'll tell you what would be nothing for me at the moment to wake up in the middle of the night and find myself in a beautifully renovated home. You would be in a West Point Properties bill by Nick Spartels. They've continued to, with COVID restrictions observed because of their bespoke nature, oh, I'm glad I used that word, been able to continue their wonderful builds in southeastern Melbourne. So if it's a renovation or a whole new build, get in the queue. It's not a long one, but it is an elite one. West Point Properties, Nick Spartels. And I can attest to the fact that you're burgers at any time, man, because this is long before we knew of Andrew's hamburgers. Do you remember the time we spent together? <laughs> it's, it's like a nightmare on the road in Canberra. Uh, I do. For the Hall of Fame uh, dinner, which we covered for SEN, it was uh, like a, an episode of The Very Odd Couple. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, I remember there was it actually could have been a sitcom there was like a I'm starting to think about it we were trying to do each other's cummerbands up or yeah. bow ties yeah <laughs> yeah it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't pretty it wasn't pretty and by the way I've, I've got to ask it was you, funny what, what does bespoke actually mean um, bespoke is 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 a sort of small industry, um, artisan-based. It's it's the opposite to mass production. Ah, okay. I thought it was uh, that thing you stuck a stick in on a bike when you wanted to make your uh, arch enemy at school fall off. That would make you a bemoron. Yeah, it would. It would. It wasn't a good pun. Uh, all right, uh, <laughs> enough dicking around. You're, you're, you're avoiding you're avoiding remembering our time on the road together. Well, I am. I've but had there enough. was definitely there was definitely a late night drive through at a McDonald's, and the one thing I remembered about it was when we went through that Macca's because we were, we had a taxi driver, I think. Yeah, we did. That the news was on, so it must have been at midnight or something, and. It, we were faced with the very rare, for me, but I guess Canberra, common occurrence of the temperature is currently zero degrees. Oh, yes. 
Yes, uh, interesting. And we also did the Hall of Fame um, ceremony in Parliament House and the proceedings actually had to be interrupted at one stage when the bells rung for a division on a, yeah. on a vote. Uh, it was, uh, yes, a, a, strange, a strange evening all round. But uh, we digress, uh, not for the first time. Uh, a heap to get through today. Uh, let's get cracking. On Footyology Newsfeed. Well, the obvious big story, uh, the worst kept secret in football, but uh, it is now all official, the first grand final ever to be held outside Melbourne. It happens at the Gabba. It's on October the 24th and it's at night. And uh, no way uh, way around it is a momentous um, occasion, the announcement of that, but it was sort of something of an anti-climax because it had been... uh, on the cards for so long. But I must admit, when it was all made official, I did sit there and go, wow, so it's actually happening. I'm going to miss out on my first grand final since 1972. How did you receive the news, Fanny? With no great shock. In fact, I thought of you. Straight away, I thought of you. Not your um, excellent streak of, well, what would have been, what, your 49th grand final? I think 49th, yeah. Uh, so bad luck, not the first person to go out inside of the half century. But um, but you're firmly in the anti-night grand final camp and it's been, again, one of these moments in a very unusual season where the AFL have taken the opportunity to slip one through. Yeah, and it was always going to happen. And the yep. understated reaction to it too just convinces me that uh, the day grand final is dead already. Uh, I did tweet something fairly sarcastically about an unnamed Channel 7 suit declaring the first night grand final a raging success 52 days before it had been played because it's all very... Uh, uh, I mean, they'll be absolutely wrapped. It's It's the perfect circumstances in which to bring this in um, and uh, there won't be any going back. You can, like anyone who says there's a chance it'll go back today after it's been at night is not living in the real world because that's just not how these people operate. And, um, you know, uh, I mean, what, did they even bother trotting out reasons for it being at night? Like the heat of the afternoon sun in uh, October at the Gabba is too great. I mean, come on. You know, like, and the Cox Plate thing, I mean, that's pretty hollow too. They could run the Cox Plate at night these days. They could change the date of that. So, you know, it's all just a, a sop to the uh, the broadcasters and they'll be suitably wrapped. And, and now we'll get to talk about the entertainment for even longer because there's apparently the added attraction of the band or bands that play for five minutes being uh, better wit than they would be during the day. It's all pretty stupid, really. But I'm so tired of fighting the whole thing. I've, I've just about sort of given up, which is exactly what they wanted us all to do. Now, I've just realised, and I'm probably showing some ignorance here, but maybe it's football fatigue. To me, the most important part of the announcement certainly wasn't relayed to me via any of the news um 
the news uh, providers that I caught the Brisbane announcement on. So really, I've watched it on TV. I've seen it on a number of sports segments within news programs. And not once was I informed, and I'm assuming that it's uh, no change, the length of the finals this year. Uh, well, I didn't see that either. Why? Isn't it four weeks? No, no, the length, the time of the quarters. Oh, okay. So I'm assuming we're sticking with the abbreviated quarters because there was some suggestion that there was a possibility that uh, this is early in the year, that the quarters in the finals might go back to the traditional 20-plus time on. But obviously no announcement means we're sticking with 16 and a half. I hadn't heard that, I must admit. But, I, I you know, as much as I'm a traditionalist, I, that wouldn't make much sense to me. You've got to surely have the finals under the same conditions you've had the whole season. Yeah, so that's going to be the case. So... Just my final observation was, so you know that there's been massive um, newsroom cuts at Channel 7, and probably Channel 9 as well, um, that has resulted, unfortunately for Victorians, in virtually all of the news, except I think the 6 o'clock bulletin, coming holus bolus out of New South Wales. I didn't know that. No, but I gave up watching TV news years ago. So this is the announcement that I heard on the afternoon edition of the Seven News, or Nine News, to be honest. We flick and I'm not sure. How's this for a piece of inaccuracy? Uh, with great gravitas in front of the Gabba, their sports announcer said, so history being made for the first time in 123 years, the AFL Grand Final will not be held at the hallowed MCG. Well, mate, you've asked that up completely. Okay. Gee, well, you think given the last one that wasn't was 1991, that person would have at least been born then? Uh, Just. But, um, yeah, actually, probably not. If some bloke, I doubt he was 30 yet. Um, But nevertheless... Yeah, the assumption that all grand finals at the MCG could only be made by a rugby league fan. Yes, well, interesting times. Um, do we have any great qualms about the Gabba getting it over Adelaide or uh, uh, Perth? I mean, I saw there was plenty of feedback on the news websites from people in Perth particularly and Adelaide who were cutting up pretty rough about it, but must admit, by the time they made this decision, I was, I was pretty okay with it, really, given how many um, games Queensland venues have hosted this year. It was sort of the right thing to do, in a sense, I think. Spot on. Um, first of all, Perth is problematic because of Mark McGowan. Their borders are still closed. I don't know exactly how, the, how they were going to massage a football finals or a grand final into their border closure rules. So really, Mark McGowan made it an impossibility to have it in Perth. And I agree. I think you've just made the salient point. Well done, Rowan. We've played so much football in southeast Queensland that at least the teams that play at the Gabba on grand final day and during the finals, even if they're not Brisbane 
or even Gold Coast have played a bit of football there. It is less alien to the Victorian clubs than any other venue being played at this season. And I think for that reason, it's the right choice ultimately. Yeah, and uh, in in actual in logistical terms, um, you you sort of suspect the AFL would be secretly barracking for the Eagles not to finish top four, wouldn't you? Because earning the right to a home final, uh, whilst they would get it, um, that would certainly complicate everything, wouldn't it? It really it could complicate it. Depends, you know, how Mark McGowan wants to be footloose and France fancy free because they've got very. Um, hard and fast border rules, you're supposed to, at the moment, it's a 14-day It's a 14 day period of exclusion from certain states, isn't it? And I've got a feeling the way Queensland are tracking, you might not be able to go straight from Queensland to WA and play football. So it could be highly problematic. Uh, the other aspect of the grand final that always comes up and probably even more so this time, even though, like I said, it's for fully 10 minutes, is the grand final entertainment. I did have a bit of fun with that, Finey, because uh, Brisbane does have a uh, pretty decent rock music legacy. And the first band I thought of, uh, this was my wish list, was the Saints reforming Chris Bailey and Ed Cooper. And actually, Ed Ed Cooper, who's on Twitter, joined in the fray too and had yep. a bit of fun with that. But, uh, of course, the Saints, uh, the heyday of the Saints back now 40-plus uh, years ago. Uh, and I, th- I don't think Ed Cooper and Chris Bailey are, are great mates, to be honest, so can't see that one. And you do get the feeling, to coin Bruce, that uh, it's all sort of set up for Powderfinger to get the knot, which... Um, well, I'll state my uh, case here. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. To be honest, I've never been a huge Powderfinger fan. I think they're all right. I think they're uh, you could do a lot worse. Bit of a yawn for me, to be perfectly honest. But uh, it, it, I heard Powderfinger uh, thrown up, and I thought, yep, that is right in Gil McLaughlin's wheelhouse. So I'm tipping that's going to be the headline act. Do you have any thoughts on the entertainment? I have... I think I've come up with the genius choice, depending on who's in the grand final, though. Um, is that Bernard Fanning or whatever it is, Powderfinger? He is. Oh, they can go. No, I don't want them. Okay. That is, that is, God, talk about that being dumb. Okay. I'm pretty sure this is a Queensland band. If Geelong make the grand final, we go with Machine Gun Fallacia. Okay. You reckon they're Queensland, do you? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they are. Um, Well, you know what their hit single was. Uh, I know you've mentioned it before and I'm struggling to remember it. Well, it's only if Geelong make the grand final. It would be the greatest ever grand final song. I'm tipping that the word pussy is in it. Pussy town. Ah, yes, of course, Pussy Town. Yeah. You know, we're going down, 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 down to Pussy Town. <laughs> you do like your songs with naughty uh, double entendres and stuff, don't you? Um, <laughs> There's nothing on double entendre about that. <laughs> no, that's true. So I'm, pre- that's I'm a... pretty 
that's pretty straight up and down. I don't think I don't know what the second entendre is. Yeah, well, it's yeah, it's not even a single entendre. <laughs> um, <laughs> you just coined a new term. I did. Uh, I did think of uh, Radio Birdman, but I think they were formed in Sydney. Uh, who else? Someone threw up Indecent Obsession. I think they might be from Brisbane. Uh, no, there have been there have been a lot of uh, uh, quite heralded musical acts come out of Brisbane. So we'll have the usual speculation about that, and then uh, it'll happen in a blink of an eye, and then no one will talk about it again for the next three hundred and sixty five days until the next year's uh, grand final. But uh, that's a, 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 I guess a side uh, bit of entertainment to all the talk about the preparations for the game. Um, what else with the grand final? We, we're now resigned to it being at night. Uh, geez, I hate TV networks and TV executives, really. Um, all right, that's enough on the grand final. Let's talk a couple of uh, key injuries that have come up in the last few days. One of them to Andy McGrath for the Bombers finally. Uh, looks like his season now is over. He has suffered the same injury, which is uh, the new black in the lexicon of football injuries and that is syndesmosis. May have to have surgery. So his season is done and dusted. Uh, and the other one, of course, uh, didn't read as much about this one, but Luke Shuey actually had a double hamstring strain in that same game against Essendon on Tuesday evening and uh, he will be missing until at the least the start of the finals so Essendon aren't going to make it we know that but um, some fairly major ramifications for the Eagles there with that one yeah yeah so they you're spot on there and by the way bad news I've just received some terrible news what's that Machine Gun for Live Show are from Sydney. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's game over for Pussytown. Oh, um, yeah. And it's game over for Luke Shuey till the finals. How does that impact on them heavily? He's a real, um, not only is he in and of himself, I think, important because of the possessions he wins, but also he keeps that midfield ticking, don't you feel? Oh, absolutely. He's the, you know, he's the, he's the gun of it. Yeah, but it just it, Tim Kelly hasn't quite been the player that they've hoped. But with Shuey there, he gets the ball to Kelly. He gets the ball to Gaff. I think they all lose a bit of their possession power without Shuey. So uh, a heck of a loss because top four is not guaranteed for them. And we'll see how it plays out as we head towards the finals. But, yeah, major loss. And, of course, McGrath. Well, if Essendon were a finals chance, he's actually Essendon's best player this year. So you couldn't have, I think, other than Nat Nui going down, you couldn't have two bigger losses from the game. No, well, Essendon are toast anyway. I mean, they've got um, Geelong and, and Port Adelaide to come before Melbourne. So they'll be, uh, in fact, they could end up finishing as low as sort of 13th around there, 14th even. Um, yeah, it's I all... It's come a cropper for them. The thing with the Eagles that I keep looking at the ladder and thinking, oh, are they going to get top four? They need top four. Well, do they? Well, no, exactly. They they need top four less this year than usual because yep. um, 
they're going to have to play away anyway. So uh, I must admit, though, I'm, I'm looking at them now and, you know, I, I was pretty convinced they and Richmond were the uh, clearly the two best candidates. I'm not looking at the Eagles with nearly the same degree of confidence now, that's for sure. Yeah, Do you think like, they can still win it? Yeah, they. Can, I think they can, a la the Bulldogs, with, you know, with a week off, with Kennedy... Shuey, Oscar Allen, and Waterman in the team. Yeah, I think they can. They can win it. Will they? Richmond are looking, you know, Richmond, for me, Richmond are looking a more solid bet every time they play, even after that sluggish showing, because they prove that they've got gears. And Geelong seem to have more X factor than any other team now. So, yeah, it, it might be harder for West Coast. That That is true. I'll tell you the other big injury news out of that West Coast Essendon game. Yep. And that's the great Stringer wasn't injured. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he's uh, fair to say uh, struggled big time in the games since his comeback. Boy, uh, was he. Was he, I don't know whether my TV screen was too small, but he wasn't on it very often. No, we had a, he had a few mates. He had a few mates. We will talk about that uh, yeah, yeah, very, yeah. very shortly because before we preview the end of round 15 and we start of round 16, we've got to sign off on the first half of round 15, if any of that makes sense. Anyway, let's <laughs> do that now. On Footyology, wrap around. Round 15 kicked off on Tuesday. Of course it did. Round 15, it must be a Tuesday. Uh, the first of those uh, two games and Fidey, I'm going to do it again, that one from Trailer Park Boys. I'm not one to say I told us so, but I told us so. I even told us so. I told you, Fidey, that Adelaide would win a game. And they did. They won it over a hapless Hawthorne. The final scores, 12-11-83, defeating the Hawks, 7-6-48. Came home with a wet sail, the Crows. The goal kickers, Fogarty 2, Jones 2, Schoenberg 2, Walker 2. Singles to Stengel, Keys, McAdam and Murphy. For the hapless Hawks, just four goal kickers. Three to Gunston, two to Wingard, singles to Lewis and Minchington. The writing was on the wall pretty early with this one, Finey. They led all day and uh, with a sniff of victory, their first victory in a year and a month, believe it or not, firmly in the nostrils, they went for broke and ended up with a 35-point win. What would you make of it? The last time that Adelaide played Hawthorne without having won a game was their first ever game because they'd never played one before. Ah, yes, of course, 1991. And they got some hawk on their fork that afternoon. Remember their big banner? Evening, evening. I was evening, was it? Yeah, I was there. I covered it. I, I yeah. remember all this because I was one of three Victorian journos who went over, the, over for the game and we got abused walking into the <laughs> press box. Well, there was hawk on fork that evening and there was... Egg on face this evening by me. Except I did the only qualification because I was sure they wouldn't win a game this year because I was sure that forward line couldn't kick five goals or more than five goals. But boy, oh boy, Hawthorne are 
absolutely checked out of this season. And they've got a few players that are coming to the end of their career with a rapidity, that with a speed that is alarming, including their skipper. Now, I sort of feel guilty that I half-talked you into believing that Adelaide couldn't win a game. And despite the I told you so's, you did tip Hawthorne, didn't you? You, you tipped I, the Hawks, didn't you? I did, and I'm dirty on it. Yeah, but don't worry about it because I bet you, like myself, 10 minutes into that game, if there was such a thing as hit reverse and tip Adelaide, even though the scoreboard wasn't by any means equal with the what was going on on the field, they were terrible, Hawthorne, terrible. Uh, only some profligate scoring and not just kicking a goal, just a couple of ultimately wrong decisions held back the tidal flow that in the end swamped Hawthorne. They, not only did they lose that game, honestly, Rowan, they could have conceded 20 goals. I, I'm, I'm not kidding. They were terrible. Mm. Um, for the Crows, another small Richmond forward reject puts his hand up. He's okay, Stengel, isn't he? He's very good. And uh, look, I've, I've um, written a, another column. I'm writing a bit at the moment uh, for Australian Community Media, which you can see in various regional publications, including the Canberra Times. Um, and I just made the point, like, they actually haven't been that bad. And um, I did pick on a quote from Kane Corns when he said the worst team since GWS and uh, Gold Coast came into the competition. Well, they're clearly not. I mean, Carlton only two years ago only won two games out of 22. Um, Gold Coast last year only won... Uh, three, um, they're losing. Adelaide's average losing margin is considerably less than either of those two teams. They've had a couple help, of help close shaves. They've they've had a couple of close shaves, but most importantly, they actually have uh, developed for the future. I mean, that nine players in that side uh, in that list have debuted this season. Most of them have played considerable numbers of games. I think uh, McAdam and uh, McHenry have played 10 each. A few have played eight. Uh, I think Schoenberg has now played five. He's been a bit of a revelation. And Stengel, uh, you know, like every, I think people knew he could play, but we're actually seeing what he is capable of adding to that mix. Uh, you know, you've got a potential key forward in Himmelberg. You know, this season hasn't been a write-off for the Crows. No, and I guess just that one win, it really it it doesn't it doesn't explain the um, Matthew Nick's um, attitude towards rebuilding the team. It doesn't forgive a lot of bad football. Let's be honest, and it doesn't explain away some of the players that they've lost. I don't think all the players that were cleared at the end of last year were necessary, necessarily clever football. For example, you know, surely somebody like a Greenwood would be a, a worthy part of a rebuild. But I guarantee you he slept a lot better on Tuesday night than he has any other night for the year, simply because it's starting to make a big bit more sense. And, you know, I've worked out something, Rowan. 
Yes. They're following the Brisbane model. Do you want to know why? Yes, I do. I'm sort of hoping you might naturally lead into that. Yeah, why? How? Why? They've got four Macs in the team. Oh, yes. It's a very... Um, it is. It's uh, In fact, I've noticed... I and there's more than that on the list, actually. Um, well, well, they had sort of McHenry, Mackesy, McAdam, and McKay. And yeah, there's five that... on. There's five on the list: McKay, McAdam, Mackesy, McHenry, and McPherson. Oh, they know McPherson. Yes, so the house of yeah. McPherson. Yeah. So I thought that followed closely behind McCarthy, um, McStay. Uh, McInerney and who's the fourth Macca there? Um, there's another Mac at Brisbane. Do you remember the um, and and a proud tradition too? Do you remember those great Brisbane sides of the early 2000s? Of the early 2000s, the, the Lions, McAnamanus, McVoss, McLappin, and McBlack. <laughs> no, I don't remember them. Oh, okay. I thought you might. I reckon we should move on. I was going to look let, a very, very quick word on Hawthorne. This is undoubtedly Hawthorne's lowest ebb for. It's hard to remember how long, to be honest. You'd have to go back to maybe two thousand and four when Peter Schwab got sacked mid-season and yep. they undertook the rebuild. I, I think it is. Yeah, I think sixteen years you've got to go back to find a lower ebb for Hawthorne because they have been trash lately. So I ask you, do they clear out? They've only got a handful of players with currency, but there are still some. Now, so one of them would be Luke Bruce. Um, he's been a fantastic player for the club, but they could definitely still get something for him. Would you go to the trade table with a Luke Bruce at the end of the year? In other words, almost concede dropping even further next year, maybe flirting with the very bottom before the rebuild? Because... If you look at their at their drafting in recent times, uh, I mean, maybe last year they embraced the draft draft a bit, but apart from Will Day, what have they really secured out of the draft in recent years? It's noteworthy. Yeah, not no, not a hope. And there's uh, a number of players who've been on the books, you know, a couple of years now that haven't done a lot. Yeah, I, I think they'll be. I think they'll be uh, probably quite hastily revising their their list um, objectives because uh, I think they thought they were in a better spot than they are. And I, I did as well. I, I thought they might bounce back and be a strong finals player this year. But uh, the end has come quickly for quite a few mainstays of that side for a long time. And uh, it's going to take a fair bit of work to resurrect things, I think. Um all right, that's more than enough on that game. Uh, let's talk about the second leg of the Tuesday doubleheader. Tuesday evening at the Gabba, West Coast took on Essendon and it was, in the end, a 15-point victory to the Eagles in a reasonably turgid affair. Nine goals, six sixty, defeating an inaccurate, wasteful Essendon. Six goals, nine. 45, on the goal-kicking front, one man stood tall, even though he's not very tall. And it was Flying Ryan, Liam Ryan, finishing with four goals, 
Two goals to Jack Darling, singles to Alan Cole and Williams. And ditto for the Bombers. Their littlest man was their only multiple goal kicker, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, finishing with four singles to Heppel and Stewart. This game, finally, pretty much won and lost in the first quarter when the Eagles kicked four goals to the Bombers. Inaccurate, 1-4. Uh, maintain that advantage thereafter. Goalless in the final term, but still winning by 15 points. Essendon only adding one in the last term. And it was back to the Essendon we've seen or we've seen for the majority of this season. Uh, wasteful, laborious going forward. Uh, no imposing targets to speak of. Well, Joe Danaher had a little patch there in the uh, second quarter, but uh, his goal-kicking, boy, it's uh, it, it's a bit of a long-term issue for him because he just misses too many opportunities. And this habit players have now of kicking around the corner, even when they're almost directly in front, it's madness to me. I mean, if you can't trust orthodox goal-kicking when you're straight in front of goals, uh, you might as well throw out the... Uh, the uh, teaching manual when they're kids because it, it just makes no sense to me. And uh, anyway, he, were, he wasn't the only one that kicked poorly, though. You just can't... Yeah, if you create that few opportunities, you can't afford to waste them. Um, boy, Essendon has some real skill issues. I mean, they're midfield. They can get the ball, but, you know, uh, Dylan Shield, boy, he, his disposal, it, it's gone down the tubes. Uh, Zach Merritt, too many kicks into... No man's land. Ditto Andy McGrath, as good as he's been. That is a real issue for Essendon. Good to see Heppel back. It was good to see him back, yep. I cannot understand why a team that goes with a tall forward line, as Essendon did, nothing wrong with that, Danaher, Stewart, McKernan, doesn't take the option of quickly kicking the ball up to a contest in the forward line. What is the Essendon obsession with tiptoeing their way around the football field like they're playing a game of noughts and crosses where they have to, you know, go square by square to get up to the top of the tape, to, to the goal-kicking area. I think you, in this I think in this case it had a lot to do with the West Coast defence, their capacity to, to zone off and take those intercept marks. But you can overdo it, you know, and I, I, think, I think they definitely overdid it. And it... it, it they could go long to a contest and maybe be picked off or tiptoe their way through the tulips and take 10 minutes to create a scoring opportunity. Either option is, is pretty ordinary. Yeah, which doesn't make sense when you're trailing. Now, the other question is, Essendon are coming out of the boxes terribly. Brisbane, Gold Coast, St Kilda, Hawthorne, West Coast. Very slow starts. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's been a... Only Hawthorne, they could turn that around and recover and win the game. I mean, what do you put that down to? That that now becomes a sort of ingrained problem that is almost part of their DNA this season. Yeah, well, I don't know if they've even worked out what their DNA is supposed to be because... Their best performance of the season, which was that win over Collingwood, and the only time they've beaten a better credentialed opponent, uh, the trademark of that win was manic forward pressure. And, you know, I remember we were all impressed with that. 
and we we thought, oh well, this is the template they're trying to use, the Richmond template. But I, I haven't seen any convincing signs of that since. Their forward pressure is pretty ordinary. Um, you know, tackles inside fifty. I don't think they measure up that well on that front. Uh, I, I, you know, there's no sort of um, uh, frenzied movement of the ball forward. So it's sort of like they're a bit betwixt and between. And uh, to to the point, and I was just going to mention this, and it was a it sort of escaped much attention. I almost feel a bit guilty bringing this up because I think Kyle Langford's been one of the few bright lights out of this season. He's turning into a very consistent, strong body midfielder who generally um, makes decent decisions and uses the ball well. But there was a bizarre moment in the last couple of minutes of the game when trailing by 15 points, he took a mark on the half-back line and he gave the slow it down, slow it down signal to his teammates. And I just thought <laughs> it was bizarre. I mean, I almost need to look at the footage again, but it just made me think, are you, are you guys so obsessed with process and stuff at the moment that you're actually forgetting the fundamentals of you're behind on the scoreboard and time is running out? It was bizarre. Rowan, I'm, I'm going to... Beyond bizarre. Rowan, I'm going to put something to you and it's not going to... It sit well with any Essendon supporters, but I really now believe it. Um, it's a title. It's a term that is reserved for the sort of football team that is playing the sort of football that supporters despise. It's a two-word term, and I think Essendon are flirting with it, if not embracing it. Um, is, it is it shit house? No, nah, it's worse than that in football terms, mate. Are Essendon playing bruise-free football? Uh, well, not intentionally, but, um, yeah, I mean, we're, 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 when people say bruise-free football, there's a fundamental accusation there that the side won't go in. I, if they are playing bruise-free football, I don't think it's so much because they're afraid to put their bodies on the line. I, I think it's because they've been so sort of brainwashed by, you know, this sort of game plan stuff that they, they, it's all, it's all about finding uncontested marks and maintaining possession. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying it would be grossly unfair to um, Andrew McGrath and even that young bloke Clark to accuse the whole team of playing Bruce free football, but they do love squirting it out to a free man whenever they can. And that gives the impression of non-contact football being the way that they play footy, bro. Yeah, look, I, final word on, on Essendon. I, I'm, I'm having this debate increasingly with people. I, I think there are bigger issues at that club, but I think there are bigger issues with this list. Uh, you know, like they can talk about the game plan and refine it all they like. I don't think this list is good enough. It's not talented enough and it's not deep enough. And key parts of it structurally, um, particularly in defence, are getting older. And I don't think the replacements are sort of thrusting their hands forward. And yeah, there's some, some decent pluses. Uh, Ridley's been terrific. Draper's looking promising. You know, Wangford has become a consistent player. McGrath's been terrific. But that's not enough. You know, their midfield, or most of their midfielders have some sort of question mark over their skill sets. 
I just look overall at that list and think it just doesn't compare with the best sides in the league. And, uh, you know... Hey, Rowan. Yeah. Rowan, let's be honest. Your only win in recent weeks was against Hawthorne. You were six goals down to the Hawks at half time, or thereabouts. Um, after that Hawthorne performance against Adelaide, Essendon are looking like a bottom three team, to be honest. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. But the, you will still find enough people both inside and outside the club who will say, oh, no, we've just got to get this and we've just got to get that. And I, I'm, no, I'm, I don't see it. I, I'd be all for sort of doing the Brisbane-style rebuild and just hitting the draft really hard with a lot of choices, uh, which of late they've given away for imports who have been okay but don't really... You know, I mean, I think they've misjudged their situation. They've considered themselves half a sneaky flag chance, hence the introduction of the likes of Sheil, Smith, Stringer, Saad, uh, all of whom have had their moments have been okay. But the bottom line is they're still a long way short. So in the, in, in the meantime, you've given up important draft choices to procure that talent. Now... You're in a bit of a hole, Bombers, I think, unfortunately. A quick word on the Eagles, Finey, because they are live and kicking as a flag chance. And next time Essendon recruits somebody, try and recruit somebody whose name doesn't begin with the letter S. Yeah, well, okay. maybe, maybe a Mac. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, Mac- Eagles. McSard. Uh, oh, look, we mentioned them earlier. I'll, I'll only refer to what I said previously. The current Eagle team, right up until the finals now without Suey, treading water but don't despair if you're an eagle supporter and don't make the top four until we get back to that big powerhouse forward line and Shuey back in the team uh your best is not out on the field which says one thing they don't have a lot of depth do they no no i think that uh, that could be an issue for them as well as simply the uh the logistics and geography of this final series. It's certainly not doing them any favours. You say this, though, if they end up winning it from here, it'll be a bloody great effort. Uh, I think it'll probably be the best flag that they have won. They've shown, they've shown a real, not disdain, but a lack of ability to embrace hub life, haven't they, in part one? And now it's got a bit of a sniff of that in part two. Yeah, well, just that subconscious thing that they are several goals less a team away from home than at home, um, yep. which sometimes is unfair, but I think there's a bit more to it this year than usual. No, you're right. You're right. All right, that is uh, Tuesday night. Uh, let's move on to Wednesday evening. Wednesday evening, Metricon Stadium, Richmond took on Fremantle. It was, in the end, a pretty comfortable uh, 27-point win to the Tigers. Eight goals, eight, 56, the old double double brother scoreline, to Fremantle, four, five, 29. Uh, Three goals to Lynch, singles to Arts, Graham Higgins, McIntosh and Rewalt for the Dockers. <laughs> two, two goals to Croden, singles to Tabiner and Walters. Uh, Tigers led narrowly in uh, the first term, increased the lead 
by halftime was up to about three goals. And uh, that was pretty much that uh, until I got a bit of a wriggle on close to the line. And uh, I'll throw this to you, finally, because you've said this a bit, uh, made this observation, and I, I saw it last night. This was a win which had those sort of 2017-ish trademarks about it that is uh, sort of softening the opponent up in the first half with a series of jabs and then close to the uh, bell time, uh, unleashing a ferocious combination of lefts and rights and leaving the opponent spread-eagled on the canvas. Yeah, just about. Anybody who thought that halfway through the last quarter when Richmond actually had just kicked a goal, might have been the Jake Arts goal, was a nice goal, and Fremantle responded almost instantly with the goal to Mitch Crowden. I like Mitch Crowden. Is it Crowden like or Crowden? Because I keep hearing people say oh, Crowden. Yeah. yeah, maybe Crowden. And he's South Australia, so Crowden probably makes more sense. Um, but he looks like a cartoon character that's been squashed under a rock. Still, <laughs> I like him. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning what? Have a look at him. Anyhow, but he's a... He's a is that the, no, well, all I can think of when you say that is like um, uh, Coyote getting squashed by the box of Acme something or others and sort of walking out like a, you know, no, he's got, a fry he's, got sort of the, he's sort of got the mini Gladstone Smalls about him. Oh, okay. Then, yeah, all right. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be rude. It's just how, his physiology. He's a good little footballer from South Australia making his way over in Fremantle. Um I'll say this. Look, the portents for this game were really bad, Rowan. It's a bad look when you've got to stretch club jumpers over seats behind the goals to create a bit of a Richmond feel. Yeah. It's a bad look. It's a bad sound if you've got to pipe that annoying crowd din even though that there are people at the game. I mean, why do they do that? God, that was annoying, that that crowd sound. Yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested to know who generated it. It did sound slightly more authentic, I thought, than the early season Channel 7 version. Um, I don't know. They do some weird things up there. I mean, Metricon, I think, plays what some of the music they play after goals, and they've got a like a, a, P, a guy on the PA going, there's a goal to Jake Arts. <laughs> and just personal preference here, I wasn't wrapped with the commentary team either. So I guess that's just how it sits. And the game was just, to me, a very ordinary game of football. But it got the W next to its name for Richmond. Uh, for Fremantle, they didn't get hammered, which is a good thing because there was a chance that if Richmond... But I guess percentage doesn't mean that much after that early season draw with Collingwood. If they were in for a kill, it could have been messy for Fremantle. What was good for Fremantle was that Hogan was a contributor. And I think in their best team, you need Hogan and you need Tabiner to work. Tabiner was good in the first half. You need Schultz. With Hogan. Absolutely. They're inseparable. Well, they had both, didn't they? 
I don't know. I look to be totally honest. I completely lost interest in this game. In fact, I, I was, we've seen yeah. some shockers oh, this flat. season. Would this get in your top three or bottom three worst games of the year? Till the last 15 minutes when Richmond putting the pedal to the metal was quite impressive. But even when the final siren went, if a picture paints a thousand words, did you see after the final siren, the scrunched up face of Damien Hardwick? Yeah. It was as though somebody had opened a fridge it was exactly the look you get when somebody opens a fridge and the only thing in the fridge is an extremely out-of-date carton of milk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's funny you say that because I've actually got one. <laughs> and we ended, up, well, we ended up using half of it last night and we're still alive. Um, so it didn't taste off, actually, but it was about a week out of date. And, and because, I guess, because he's been a, um, a tune-inner to footyology final siren, I really like Justin Longmuir now, ever since he tuned into our program. Yeah. But he is by far the most enjoyable coach to watch when they cross back to the coaches after an incident because he's really conscious of himself on the TV and he was about to smash the glass and he just looked up and caught himself a second before he was about to do something naughty. But he always looks up at the screen to see what he's doing. It's good. I, I think a lot of us could use a, um, a camera on us to, uh, to prevent us losing <laughs> our you-know-what. Check uh, ourselves. Yeah, so yeah. as far as the game, I did like... To quote Homer Simpson, there was a great Homer Simpson episode where he wants to be a good father and he kisses all the kids goodnight. So he goes into Maggie and he goes, oh, Maggie, I love you, and gives her a kiss. And he goes into Lisa and he goes, Lisa, I love you, and he gives her a kiss. And he goes into Bart and you know what he says to Bart? What? I like your sheets. (laughs) So the best thing I could say about that game was I liked Fremantle's jumper. Uh, yeah, the jumper did look good. Yeah, no, I was a I was a rep for that. But uh, yeah, yeah. Every, everything about it, uh, strange venue, strange time slot, ordinary game, uh, not a great advertisement for this uh, new age of uh, football, that's for sure. Nope. Uh, uh, all right, well, that is uh, round... Here we go. Oh, look, I'm getting saying, what, what round is it? <laughs> well, You know what it is? What, what was that movie? Was it was it being John Malkovich or where they had a, a, a floor that was like the 11th and a half floor of a uh, building? Well, there's uh, Harry Potter has the platform yeah, nine the and a half. Yeah, platform yeah, and nine I, and a half, isn't it? Yeah. And it might have been being John Malkovich where they work out of an office that's a half like they all have to crouch down because it's the 11th and a half floor. So this is, what is it, round 14 and three quarters? No, well, 15. Uh, it is That is half of round 15 uh, uh, reviewed. Let's preview the remaining half and the first bit of round 16. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Two games on Thursday. The first of them is in Cairns at Kazali Stadium, 4.40pm local time. It is Sydney 
taking on Melbourne. What's going to happen in this one, Finey? I think uh, Melbourne might just have more incentive to win the game and more purpose about their business. They're certainly being sent around town, aren't they, from Alice Springs up to Cairns. Uh, Sydney have shown, I guess, a little bit of promise in that win over GWS a couple of games back. But no, Melbourne, for mine, with too much at stake. Well, the incentive certainly there, isn't it? Uh, really important win, obviously, over St Kilda last week. Uh, put them into the eight. Uh, a game in hand uh, on two of the rivals outside the eight. Uh, level on games with the Giants. So it uh, goes to say this is an absolute must win. Drop this one and I think they're probably toast. But uh, Sydney, well, look. They've been plucky enough for Swans, haven't they? But uh, they just haven't had the cattle all year and uh, the incentive really dries up, doesn't it? So, I don't know, does the venue play a factor here? Can you see Cairns playing into the hands of one or other of these two teams? Nope. Okay, you don't want to elaborate on that? <laughs> well, I just don't think they've got form there, so I can't really factor in why one team would prefer it over the other. Yeah, no, I think uh, the Demons uh, certainly impressed me in that win over the Saints. Uh, I think this is one they lock away in the kit bag and keep those finals hopes alive. So we're both going for the Demons there. The second of the Thursday doubleheader, it is at Metricon Stadium. It is GWS taking on Carlton and uh, hasn't been a good week for the Blues fight. He really disappointing goalless half against Collingwood in a game they had to win to keep their uh, slim finals chances alive. So uh, you just wonder if that is going to sort of uh, suck all the life out of their performance. GWS, on the other hand, outside the eight, only on percentage uh, and a fair stack of percentage behind Melbourne. So they not only need to win, they need to win pretty well, but uh, their form encouraging, pretty impressive against Frio last week. I thought they might, uh, the way they'd finished against West Coast the week before showed some pretty good signs, and they certainly made that pay off in that win over the Dockers. Uh, they're the better side. I think their forward line's starting to tick over pretty effectively again, and a boom recruit in Jake Riccardi, who was really added something to the mix there. I think their tails are up and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants won this one in pretty handsome fashion, actually. I think they might uh, really show their mettle here and have a pretty good win. What what do you think will happen in this one? You know, everything points to what you've said coming to fruition. The only thing I would say is that Carlton have shown this season an ability to dig into the emotional kit bag and turn around a bit of bad form, whereas GWS have proved to be gay deceivers on occasion. For young people, that's a term that goes back to the 50s. It just means that they're not necessarily a week-in, week-out proposition. I'll stick with your prognosis and go for a, a strong GWS win. All right, we're on the same track tipping-wise so far. Let's turn our attention to Friday. I don't think there's much doubt this is the match of the round. 7.50 local time at the Gabba. It is Brisbane taking on Collingwood. Really looking forward to this one. Who's going to win this, Finey? 
Yeah, the sort of um, stagnating lions versus the wounded, patched-up magpies make for an intriguing contest. And they have stagnated a bit, Brisbane. They also haven't played as much football at one feels in recent days as other teams. So I'll take that as an opportunity to lick their wounds, um, assess where they're at, and hit the ground really running against Collingwood, who one player in, one player out. You never know who's going to be missing for the Magpies. It was side bottom out last game, and they just are finding it hard to put together a lineup that is consistent. One thing I will say, that forward line now that's gone back to Myacek and Cox should be well held by Harris Andrews and co. Um, you know, you'd have to say Ryan Gardner's, not Ryan Gardner, Darcy Gardner's had a fantastic season. I think they can match them up in the back line, keep their forward line quiet and have a good win. Brisbane for mine. Yeah, look, I'm going for Brisbane as well. I think the home ground advantage is pretty significant in their case. Their track record up there is great. Look, the Pies, I thought the Pies were pretty handy against Carlton. There's no doubt that forward setup ticks over a lot more smoothly when Myacek's part of the equation. I thought Cox showed some pretty reasonable signs uh, in that regard against the Blues. Uh, Stevenson chipped in and, and did a bit more. You've got Josh Thomas sort of able to kick a couple of goals. So it's not looking quite so dire as it was. But side bottom, uh, I mean, we all know how big a loss he is. But I think you might really see the full extent of that in a game like this, given the uh, armoury that Brisbane has in terms of uh, more high possession getters around that contest. And uh, that's going to be able to match the Pies and uh, I think they've just got a bit more explosiveness about them too. And the home ground advantage, I think, worth at least two to three goals. So yeah, it's an important one for the Pies, this one too. I mean, they're, they're six points inside the eight, uh, but drop one here and it all starts looking a bit precarious again. You know, we've become used over the years to the, the Pies turning in some, some good backs-to-the-wall performances on the road. Uh, assignments on the road don't get a lot tougher than this one with uh, seeding a home ground advantage, a true home ground advantage to their opponent. Uh, Brisbane chugging along nicely inside the top four, uh, a game in hand too. So keep winning here and they can maintain that all-important top four spot and the double chance. I expect Brisbane to win this one pretty narrowly. I think the Pies will give a pretty good account of themselves, but Brisbane for me... Uh, well, that was a short preview because that was the end of round 15. Of course, six teams having buys. Uh, and I'll, I wouldn't even say this week because most of these are fronting up again only days later. But uh, Bulldogs, Geelong, North Melbourne, Port Adelaide, St Kilda and Gold Coast, all with the round 15 buy. But no rest for the wicked because no sooner does round 15 wrap up on Friday evening Round 16 starts on Saturday and an unusual Saturday too, this one, just the one game on the agenda. It is a night game, 7.40pm. It's at Metricon Stadium. It's between North Melbourne and Port Adelaide and uh, you've only got a glance at the ladder with Port Adelaide sitting proudly on top, two points clear and a hapless North Melbourne second last with just three wins for the season. 
and uh, think that this one, Finey, could get pretty ugly. Nothing topsy-turvy here. Um, Port Adelaide, not going on, not playing superbly, but their fixturing helps them towards the end of the season. They'll maintain that top position and have no problems beating North Melbourne, who are now really giving every youngster in the joint a chance to play some senior football, trying to work out what their list is going to look like next year. And again, we'll see kids that probably aren't quite up to it playing and the likes of maybe Jared Pollock not playing. That says a bit about priorities at North Melbourne. Priority is not the W, it is at Port Adelaide, so they get it. Yeah, you only had to glance at North's bench against Gold Coast to see where their focus is now. And uh, there was as much talent watching on as was on the park as sitting in the stands just over the boundary line. You had uh, Zeeble, Cunnington, Brown, Pollock, Pittard. Uh, gee, I wonder how many of that group will be there next year. Uh, a lot of speculation about at least three of those five names. So... Certainly a period of transition for the Roos. They've got some big decisions to make on their list. Port Adelaide's decisions, meanwhile, are about uh, who to start uh, giving more game time in the lead-up to the finals because they are going to be a very key player in the finals. And uh, no one seems to give them much of a chance of winning the flag. Odd seeing they're sitting on top. Uh, they can make a real statement here with a convincing win, and I think they will win this one very handsomely. All right, three games on Sunday. The first of them, back to Metricon Stadium. It is 1.05pm. It is a replay finding of a 1971 grand final. (laughs) 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 That's a pretty desperate line, that one. Uh, the personnel has changed somewhat since then. No Bob Keddy bobbing up the last quarter this time. Uh, St Kilda taking on the Hawks. Uh, well, we all saw what happened to Hawthorne against Adelaide a few days ago. You'd have to think the Saints, they'll be stinging after having lost their last two games by under a kick. Uh, this is the one where they turn it around and get a bit of confidence back finally, surely. Yeah, I think they will. They'll also enjoy having a rare week off. So a little bit of extra time off. And Hawthorne have a fairly rapid turnaround from playing in Adelaide on Tuesday night, back on Sunday morning or early afternoon. So, uh, yeah, the Hawthorne just doesn't have the personnel. And St Kilda need to hit the scoreboard a little bit more affirmatively than they did in those last two games because both those games had a similar scoreline of all four teams, you know, all teams around the 50-point margin. That's not going to really cut it. If St Kilda were to lose this game, they cannot make the finals. Uh, they've got a couple of hard games to finish off, West Coast and GWS. They need this win. They need the percentage, and I think they'll get a little bit of both. Yes, agreed. Uh, Saints pretty easily for me, and I think the uh, league speed in this game might play a very big factor. One team is pretty quick across the ground. The other one is uh, about as fast as... Treacle. No, that wasn't the right analogy, but you know what I mean. It droops no, pretty slowly. Yeah, it's done. I haven't seen Treacle break any track records lately. No, no. Uh, fair observation. All right, the second Sunday game. It is Geelong taking on Essendon at the Gabba, 3.35pm. 
Essendon, of course, fronting up again after a Tuesday game. Uh, that is, what, a five-day break. It's not a heap. The Cats coming off a bye and starting to really click into top gear now, looking pretty ominous, uh, even though they are in third spot. On the ladder, uh, opportunity to go ahead of Richmond. Really, really good percentage. In fact, their percentage, 138.7, 10 points higher than the next best percentage in the competition, which is Port Adelaide. So the Cats can uh, really make a play here to move into top spot uh, should Port stumble at some stage. And I think they'll get the job done pretty handsomely. Their record against the Bombers is pretty good. I think Essendon might have just about had their spirits broken by that loss to the Eagles. And now, of course, losing Andy McGrath. So it'd be interesting to see what they do at selection. Finey, what do you reckon happens in this? Well, I think we've got two teams going in two completely different directions, don't we, Rowan? We've got Geelong making a concerted bid for a really what would be a worth a worthy premiership. Um, they've shown not only, as you say, great scoring ability this year, they've got the best forward in Tom Hawkins, but their back line beautifully organised by that man, Tom Stewart, puts loves so many players playing in career best form. And unfortunately for your Bombers, it seems that uh, slow starts, slow methodology in moving the ball, and now a really look to the future with Ben Rutten that almost says, bring on the end of 2020 ASAP means this is a certain win for the Cats. Yep, uh, we are absolutely on the same page there as well. Gee, we've tipped the same thing every game. Uh, there's a, a departure from recent history, probably just as well for you, because I've got to say, Fonny, I'm braining you in the tips now. I think I'm 11 in front of you. Yeah, I'm gone on that score. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, sorry to rub it in. And the uh, last game, uh, no, well, not the last game, but the last game for our previews of round 16 is Sunday, 6.10pm. It is Western Bulldogs taking on West Coast. They've had some Donny Brooks, these two sides over the years. They haven't had many of them at Metricon Stadium, it's fair to say. That's where this one is. Uh, I'll let you lead the way on this one, Finey. This one smells danger, danger for the Eagles, I think. What do you reckon? Smells danger, danger for the surface at Metricon. God, they are absolutely giving it a flogging, aren't they? That, that ground is not missing out. And it's stood up pretty well so far. This is going to be a ripping game. And you know what? The Western Bulldogs, gee, they had a chance against Geelong to really put themselves in the discussion, didn't they? I'm talking about the, the whole discussion because had they beaten the Cats and they got six goals for the good in the first quarter, a good win against Geelong, well, you can measure that up as really saying that they measure up to any team. But in the end, they lost that game. I think they've got enough to beat West Coast. I really do. And I've been bullish about doggies all season. They've lost me a couple of times, but I still think, especially without Shuey at the Eagles, that that midfield, which is pretty well full rats power at the moment, everybody playing, might just have enough to win the game. The one thing I'm worried about, Tim English has been bullied a bit by better Ruckman this year as to what effect Nat and Nui could have on the game. So Western Bulldogs are going to have to be probably 
the mindset of rucking to the opponent, roving to the opponent all afternoon, which is sometimes impossible because sometimes he taps it to himself, Nat and Louis. But I think midfield strength will get the doggies over the line. What do you reckon? Yeah, I tend to agree. Look, I, as you know, I've got a lot of faith in the Eagles, but Shuey out is a major loss. Uh, do we expect Kennedy to return for this one? What's the status of Kennedy at the moment? Well, with, you know, concussions are a vexing situation. They're a hard one to put a timetable on, and we're not getting the full week off. So it's not like he's... You know, he could miss two games, but doesn't have the fortnight to recover. So at the moment, you'd have to say he's not playing, I guess. Yeah, well, that would that would certainly tip it for me. And the dog's form is good, isn't it? Uh, smash the Crows, really good win over Melbourne. And then, as you say, the Geelong game, they've ended up losing by 11 points, but led it for probably, what, 95% of the game and were six goals up. So you can't fault their form. Uh, they've certainly got plenty of good run. Uh, English v Natanui, that is the, the weak spot for them, you'd think. But uh, the Eagles are going to need a massive game from Natanui and others besides. Do they have enough to capitalise on that work without Shuey and against that prolific Bulldog midfield? I tend to doubt it. And that's not to say I'm discounting the Eagles from still doing something this year, but I think crucial game for the Doggies. They have to win it to keep those uh, finals hopes alive. I think they're good enough to get the job done. So uh, we agree on that one as well. Uh, we're ad, 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 as they say, Latin, ad adem. Uh, which means? In agreement. In agreement. Very good. Uh, yes, I never learned Latin at school, which was a, a huge loss. That's so one of the great regrets of my life. Not really. I'll tell you what, Rowan, it will be a loss tonight. Uh, it's funny you should mention that. Okay, why? Why is that? Because we're going when to do, do we're going to do footyology final siren this evening in Latin. No, but I'll be doing my football tips in club mottos. Ah, okay, great. Uh, that should uh, have the viewers flocking to our live stream. And if you're wondering what we're talking about, footyology final siren. Uh, wrapping up a big doubleheader Thursday evening after the second game. Make sure you join us on my Twitter feed and through Periscope for that one. All right, uh, that's it. Uh, I've, I've worked out we've uh, we've sorted uh, two rounds or one and a half rounds. Uh, what day is it? It's Thursday. We've got a Thursday doubleheader, of course. Everything's all over the shop, Finey. But one thing that is always consistently good value is the best hamburger in town. Where am I going to find that? 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. I'm trying to do it like Eric Plansek, but I can't. Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And the best home renovations, not only in this town, not only in this country, but in the entire world. If it sparkles, it's a Spartles. Nick Spartles, West Point Properties. Oh, there's another career awaiting you as a jingle writer. I can, I can sense it. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, like I said, Footyology Final Siren Thursday evening after the Thursday doubleheader. Check out footyology.com.au. Some great stuff up there on the moment. In fact, uh, we have uh, featuring today the best films of 2020 thus far by our uh, I was going to say erstwhile, but by our uh, our film critic, Finey. Do you know who our film critic is? 
Um, uh, Lee Pack. No, I don't know who it is. Oh, your sister. No, it's my daughter. Your daughter. Your daughter. Your daughter. Your daughter. Yeah. My no, daughter, right. Andrea. You can Andrea Connolly's film review. She knows her stuff, and when you read uh, this synopsis of the best films of this year, you'll know what I'm talking about. She's definitely not a chip off the old block. She's a good writer. So check that, that out. That, Adam. Actually, that, that'll be great because I've got no idea what films have come out this year. So that'll be a real help. Well, she's got some good ones in there. 1917 is the only one on her list that I've seen, and that's particularly good. But check them yep. all out there. Uh, we've got a great piece too, if you missed it, which uh, went up yesterday by football historian Miles Wilkes about retrospective Norm Smith medals and who would win them. Uh, taking as a cue the stats and votes uh, from the time those games were played. There's a heap of good stuff on footyology.com.au. Please visit our Patreon page and become an official Footyology patron. Uh, We'll see you tonight, hopefully, for the live stream. And uh, if the podcast is your go, we will see you on Sunday when we will wrap up round 16, uh, preview round 17, uh, who knows, give you the Tats Lotto numbers for next week. I don't know what's going on, but there's a lot of detail. We'll be right across it. Thanks to your company. We'll see you soon.